Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Zero Lift. You're joined by Ryan, Lenny. My name for this episode will be Lenny Two Shoes. And John. They call him Lenny Two Shoes because he's got two shoes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, today we're talking about the Perfect. best street race on the calendar. John talks about a little red Corvette and a scrap race daily with rare cars from the 60s. So let's get right into it. Let's talk about the best street race on the calendar, in my opinion. That's Baku. We're talking about F1, talking about engine failures, talking about team orders. We're talking about porpoising. We're doing it all. Where to start here? Yeah, man, it was crazy, wasn't it? It was such a good race. I love Baku. It's so good. Uh, I just want to. I just want to say really quick. Uh, I was surprised by the change in turn seven. I think it got a lot more uh, of a, acute of an angle than previous years. Or am I? I don't mistaken think they here? made any adjustments to the circuit, but I'm the cars are sure. bigger. No, I think they extended the turn of turn seven like where the limit used to be the street actual but they've extended it out and put curbs on so it's more of a 90 degree instead of like a a gentle 90 you know what i mean Hmm. and it seemed at least in fp1 fp2 through qualifying that some of the drivers had a lot of issues with it because the back tires kept hitting that wall out the exit I don't because think it was a it. more of a cute angle. Really? I, so they yeah. did make some changes. And I, in full disclosure, I'm just literally looking up a article about sure. the track. Thank you. Uh, they made some changes. They don't mention turn seven. Uh, oh, I might be wrong. They got new that. tech pro barriers, a new gate between turn one and turn two, new vehicle opening between turn three and turn four on the right-hand side, pit walls extended by eight meters, and the track verge line extended by four meters. I don't know if maybe the... I think it's just the larger cars. I think it's just the larger... They're larger cars. Seven was already kind of a hard turn anyways, and lining that up to just take full advantage of your car between turn seven and then eight, nine, ten, eleven <clears> through <throat> the castle section. It was already a pretty yeah, tricky turn, yeah. and they're larger vehicles now. Um, I would say yeah. watching in quality, Leclerc I'm, definitely. I'm wrong. I guess. Uh, he was completely on the limit, and I was really impressed by Leclerc's qualifying to, you know, say kind words about competitors. And Max did. There you go. I hate. You know, okay. I try. Yeah, um, got to grow up sometimes. Sometimes, uh, I like Leclerc. I like the Ferrari battle. I it's it's great that both of their engines. Well, hydraulic issue for Carl, uh, for science and uh, engine failure for Leclerc. Yeah, that's great to get points on the board, but like I'd rather see a fight, right? I don't want someone to just win by DNFs or spearheading somebody you know in a corpse or something like that. You know, that's just not fun. It's just not fun racing. Um, you know what? Good on you. Good on you. Because yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. So you missed the dig on corpse uh, last year, but anyways, so no, I I caught it. I was just ignoring it. <laughs> but like that's the thing. So I'm kind of disappointed because I wanted to see a good race between them, and I think it's also really cool that George has been Mister Consistent. Uh, that's pretty awesome as well, and he's picking up these points and these podiums through just attrition and really operating the car at a, at a level. And it's funny too because. You know, I'll get back to the the bitching of Lewis and his back hurting and the porpoising that Mercedes is having, but like, 
This kid came from Williams last year into Mercedes. Like, duh, he's going to, like, he's, he went from just such a kind of garbo car to a, a decent enough car this year that it's it's not surprising that he's able to keep the consistency and not push the car to its limit and have it break or anything like that. I just, I commend the kid. I don't really prefer his PR methods, but I really like his racing. What's wrong with his PR methods? Yeah, what's wrong with his PR? He's kind of posh British to me. He's not like. You mean he's British? No, he. No, he's... There's different types of British, and he's like the poshy sort of British. He is a. Well, I mean, he is a pretty a stupid boy professional. Yeah, yeah, a stupid professional British <laughs> I mean, poshy. I gotcha. Yeah. Okay. He's not from Liverpool. Okay. All right. There, there's no denying that George Russell's a little bit of a pretty boy. He's got a pretty boy face. Yeah. He's got a model face, right? And he he definitely uh, walks walks with a certain air of the British. Yeah, I agree. Stick yes, up but ass. I mean, like, yeah. no, I've, there's nothing wrong with that. I've know, talked about where that's coming from. I've talked about George Russell's attitude. I'm a huge fan of it. Reminds me of me when I was in my mid twenties. Sure, and like, yeah, I stick up ass. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I feel like that dude. I don't know if this is true, right? I have no idea, but like sure. the way he talks makes me think that like when he's not racing, he knows like every technical engineering specification of the car. He's talking to the mechanics constantly, right? And like. Like that's the 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 air that he gives off. Whereas he like, does seem he does Lando, seem like that. I agree. Also British, but but like like Signs and Leclerc, who I also really like, and I don't know, I don't know, but like the attitude they give off is that they're kind of like, "Hey guys, what's up? Fuck it, let's go drive." And like Russell gives me this attitude that he knows every single engineering spec of the car. And is a complete and total expert on everything about the car, and I appreciate that. I I, honestly, that kind of reminds me of like Schumacher, uh, dad, not current driver Mick. Michael Schumacher's kind of ability to put on this face, especially talking to PR, and in the background, he's still like this quiet guy, but also did know all that stuff. So I mean, it's very likely. And George has a background, and if you listen to his uh, interviews. Uh, as he was coming up and how he got into Mercedes, he's, I think he does know his shit. I'm going to come in here with a hot take. When are we going to stop babysitting Mick and start really judging him as a real driver instead of what Ooh. his name is? Uh, another year I just had that question. Just put that question. Honestly, I would say... Oh, really? Yeah, dude. So here's the thing, though. Is that like... It's not producing. It... <sighs> Look, and it's not up, because it's the highest car. Because look at Magnussen. Yeah, but K Magnussen. It's 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 possible point producing car, and no. Mick is nowhere near the pace. So first off, I think that he is a slow burner, and he's in a Haas. It took K Mag a while, and K Mag is also the type of guy that pushes cars to limits and then crashes. He's K Mag is a very all or nothing type of guy, and if you look at his Haas in the Hashtag previous years. Very much so, but he he is the type of guy that generally also is not Mister. Todd's got a funny face on there. I don't see it. So um, the point is, is that K Mag's not Mister. Consistent. He's quite the opposite. Where it's like he succeeded in the beginning of the season, but as the season draws on, he typically falls off. And he you're comparing drivers. I'm I'm saying the car. The car's not. Magnus has at least shown that the car is capable. Yeah, but he knows how. He already knows how to push that. But Mick. Mick and Latifi are like the crash king. Oh my god, Latifi needs to get the 
fuck out of F1, dude. I'm not arguing okay, that. I'm can just we saying say the that same Mick, thing about Mick. Mick's Mick not I, the, just said I don't it. know, man. Mick's not the crash king. He just I don't know. It's I think he, he I think he's got another year. And a half he's crashed barely. He hit he's it crashed wrong. more this season than he did all of last season, and we still have 14 races. I left, understand. So like, Look, somebody's got to somebody's got to make up for Mazda spin, and apparently right now it's Mick. Maybe he's trying to push it to the limit, and I I don't know if there's ever going to be a time period in which we we don't. I, I don't know. Because look how long Carlos got. Carlos, his dad's also a phenomenal racer, and anytime he like saves it from the gravel or something, do we give him shit when Carlos Sainz ends up in gravel, or do we say I saved it like yes. a dad would? Yes, there's tons of endless memes on the internet of everything with gravel. Did you see the one about Baku that they uh, the came into the castle? They put gravel into it, like yeah. And then Carlos with the uh, face. Yeah. I I don't I don't know, man. I don't know when. Mick's going to stop getting so much slack, but I would imagine it's probably he's got it this season. And then next season, it's going to be probably open season would be my guess. Yeah, I agree that that's kind of where I'm at on your hot take. Now let's talk about, I mean, I would love to see a Schumacher, you know, succeed, but uh, you know, I just got to be realistic. Ah. There's an F2 champion that doesn't have a, that doesn't didn't get a seat this year. Well, that's Latifi's going to leave. So there you go. Uh, now let's talk about the current champion keeping the points alive and his faithful companion and possibly also competing for championship this year, the winners, Red Bull, uh, Max Verstappen and Checo Perez. Uh, unbelievable. Called out the one and two called out the one, one, two yeah. and on Twitter. I just want to point out, I came back, I got the receipts. There you go. He's got the facts folks. I think that this is so interesting that it, it's now a couple of races now to don't fight and let Max pace. You know, Checo's, Checo p- pulled off T1, and I thought Leclerc was going to pull a Lewis and just go right. And it would have been hilarious. Um, he just is not managing the tires as well on the new cars, which is strange. And it's, it's interesting because they don't want him to fight. And then Max puts such a lead on Checo every single time he passes him so far, right? Uh, yeah. And so it's so strange that it's like, why are we talking about like this whole team orders thing? When like, if Max is in front of Checo, he's gone by like tens by dramatically large portions. You're right. I, I don't You're totally right. I don't know. And part of it might be because of when they're pitting Checo and using him to make sure that Max gets first. That's possible, but that's F, that's been F1 since forever. So I don't know how that's news. Yeah. Checo's a great driver. I don't know. He could, but- now you you know I'm you know I love Checo and I hate Max. Everybody knows that. But I mean Max is gunning for the championship. Max, like you said, every time he's in front, he just leaves, dude. Um it, I don't think I don't think Red Bull I think Red Bull's doing everything they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. They're in the I can't, I can't. they've got their dudes yeah. on too. I don't know what else there is yep. to do. I can't I can't talk anything about you know strategy or orders or BS or whatever. Um Checo's got more podiums than everybody on the field but Max. Right. Um he's the only guy with a win besides Max and Leclerc. Yeah. And you know, and the champ, the guy they need to bring home the bacon, has been on the podium six times and five of those times were wins. So I the, you know, if you take your emotion out of it and like, yeah, I would love to see Checo win all the races, but like Max is the dude and I, I think Red Bull's doing everything they're supposed to be doing. 
And I mean, Checo's in second in the points. So, I mean, like, right. what's the big deal? I don't know. Also that. He's, he's second in the points now. And for me as well, it's the fact that, like, Max has also grown up a lot. His PR has gotten way better than it was even five years ago. Uh, yep. I enjoy it. He, he doesn't come off as douchey as he used to. He basically is there to race and then is like, peace out. <laughs> I mean, it's great. I mean, yeah, he's got the cha- he's got the championship now. I mean, yeah. that 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 pressure is off your shoulders, I'm sure, right? right. Everyone's got that. Mm-hmm. Once that first one is dust gone and dusted, I mean, like that's a whole new world, right? Yeah. Freedom. Uh and really to kind of bookend this, I want to talk about the champion that won because of the car, not because of his drivability skills. Uh a big push right now is that porpoising is an issue and uh, Lulu and his uh, Darth Lord of Totoisms uh, is trying to pressure the FIA into essentially changing uh, porpoising where it's funny because at any point in time, Mercedes can just lift their car up and fix the porpoising. They're choosing to lower it as much as they are to try to get an advantage. And it's clearly performance. Yeah. Uh, so if they just were to lift their car up, they could save Lewis Hamilton's back. Uh, but now they're trying to bring it to the FIA to try to get a reg change done. And I think it's kind of silly. Uh, it really kind of proves, too, where Lewis has been all this season, that uh, now that the car is not top tier, Lewis's driving is now not top tier. Oddly enough, Mr. Consistency George Russell is there. Where is Lewis going? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's not the car because I mean, Drew Russell is producing. So, so why isn't Lewis? Can't say it was the car. Yeah, but the car produced for Lewis for seven championships. Uh, and the I only, mean, this, and the only one he lost in that time frame was Nico. Here. Nico beat him. L- in, uh, listen, you know. yeah, I don't know, man. And and he came back and won that championship after that year. But this time, you know, it's second time. So it's a little harder to get up. Uh, Who I, knows? Think, I think he's on the way out, not on the way up or back. Hey. If he does it so, again next year, I'll agree with you. But for now, this is a year. Word. Yeah. John, uh, last week I asked you why you bought the Grand Sport. And yes, this sir. week we're dedicating an episode to it. All to the yes, Grand sir. Sport. All to it. Do you have any updates before we get into what is the Grand Sport, the history of it all, and all that stuff? Oh, I do. Oh, then bring it to me, Daddy. So as I mentioned last week, I think, uh, the brakes on this car were atrocious. Right. They're the old C4. Well, so yeah, C4 Corvette, so um, Mm -hmm. mid-90s. So it's already upgraded from, you know, 63. They should be good, but they were not. But today, I completed a comprehensive brake upgrade. I didn't change the calipers, but that's the only thing I didn't change. Um, wow. So, yep. So I bought uh, EBC pads. Um, I wanted to get Red Stuff front and back, which Red Stuff is a very high-performance street pad. It's probably good for autocross, but not for high-performance driving events. Um, they were out of reds in the rear and sent me blue, which is the track pad. So I got blues in the rear and reds in the front. Um, blues actually behave on the street pretty well. They just dust a lot, whereas the reds don't dust at all. Um, I'm going to run it this way. I was a little perturbed, but whatever. But anyway, put the pads in. Um, <laughs> on working on the calipers... Yeah, 
On working on the calipers, I've decided that the C4 brake calipers suck, and I am excited <laughs> to get a big brake kit, but I am moving to Saudi Arabia, and I don't think I'm going to do that before I go, because um, I'm also going to need some big-ass wheels for that. Anyway, uh, put the pads that in. That means custom. Yeah, it means wheels. Well, no, the brake kit, because so the car has, like, it's literally on C4 suspension. It's got C4 knuckles, arms, it's got a C4 rear end. Like it is, it is a '90s Corvette oh. in terms of suspension on a very lightweight right. fiberglass two nice. frame. Yeah. Mm. Um, so the nice thing is that I can buy C4 suspension parts, C4 brakes, and they all just bolt right up. Um. So I did the pads. I took the stock, I guess stock-ish. I it. Once you get into American cars, you're basically buying universal parts because they're all the same. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. So I got rid of the like old school, you know, like the old master cylinder with like the wire clamps over it, you know, big chunk of cast iron. Uh, I threw that away with the stock uh, metering <laughs> or proportioning distribution valve, whatever the F they call it. And I got a Willwood um, tandem master cylinder the biggest diameter they offered which is one and one sixteenth inch um and, yeah. then it, and then i got it with a willwood proportioning valve kit so the prop valve has a bracket that bolts to the master cylinder with hard lines um so i got this gucci uh master cylinder with a prop valve right on it i custom bent and re cut off the fittings and reflared the brake lines to fit into the prop valve what up what up this sounds oddly familiar to the brake setup in the gtr i know that's because it is uh <laughs> Okay. I will t look. I will tell you this. I guess just use what like use what you're used to. I know this. Use what you're used to, man. I'm used to no, touching something. Just well. keep on touching it. So with the GTR, I got an R34 master cylinder, and I custom plumbed in a Willwood prop valve. But I'm a big believer in. Here's the deal. This is a hot take, and it's slightly off topic. But if you delete ABS on your car. Hmm. You keep the ABS, what happens is, so most of the time, if you go to a big brake setup, most cars have too much rear brake bias nowadays. Yep. And if you delete the ABS, well, what they do is they have the ABS to compensate. So when you lock up the rear tires, it cycles the ABS and allows you to brake balanced. If you delete the ABS... <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. If you delete the ABS, which I did on the GTR, a stock master cylinder that has a prop valve built in, it has bias built into it, yeah. will overbrake the rears and you will swap ends on panic braking. So I'm a, a firm, firm, firm believer in huh. having an adjustable proportioning valve on your performance car. So I did that to the GTR. And then this. Willwood master cylinder kit has hard lines and a bracket and so the all you have to do is adapt the lines on the car to go into the proportioning valve so I have an adjustable proportioning valve on the Grand Sport now okay um, you lost me here sick so, so does that mean you're able to control where the braking is happening then so basically what it is is a proportioning valve 
lessens the pressure to the rear brakes. So you can use more front brake? Well, you can you can set the proportioning valve to whatever you want. Oh, I can set the okay. proportioning valve to lock up the rear brakes if you breathe on it. Gotcha. But the thing is that most factory cars, the front rear split is set in the master cylinder. and You can't adjust it. Gotcha. Okay. If you add a proportioning valve that has a crank on it, you can set how much goes to the front and to the rear. And so that's what I did. Very useful. Um, okay. Yeah, so I got the new master cylinder, new prop valve, custom bent the lines, reflared them, new fittings and everything, uh, and bled it. Um, that was a busy weekend. And, oh, no, that was today. That was this afternoon. <laughs> Jeez. How the uh, hell do you do all that one day? Yeah, it was, it was tough. I was sweating my ass off. I would imagine um, so. So, uh, you know, before, like, I could put my entire body, like, locked against the seat, and I couldn't get the tires to break loose. Now yeah. I can easily break the tires loose. Um, the rotors didn't look like anything, and I went out and did some panic stops to get the pads to bed, yep, and I can yep. happily say that all four of my rotors now have a cobalt blue sheen to them. Sexy. Nice. Um, you panic yep. break to bed in car tires? Or brakes, sorry, pads? Mm. So what you do is you put the brakes in and then you do a couple, like you go to 15, 20 miles per hour and stop and stop. And you go to 30 and stop and 40 and stop and 50. And and eventually you get up to like 60 miles per hour and do panic stops. Yeah, because the panic Um, stops tell you that you've basically bedded in the brakes properly. No, all you're trying to do is get the brake rotors hot. Yes, because what happens is once you get the brake rotors hot enough, you get the pads hot enough, the pads apply what's called a transfer layer well, I know that. to the rotor. I bet in, I so bet in bike brakes. I know that part. Yeah. <laughs> so you want some pad material on right. your brake rotors. I'm just and asking. You know you did it right. You know you did it right machine. when the rotors are like a cobalt blue color. Yeah, I'm just asking the difference. So I, I'm aware of the bedding and the brake process because I do it on bikes. Like I did three today. I'm just asking the main difference between car side that i don't understand as well versus the bike side that i do understand where i basically feather the brakes on as and like you said increase the speed essentially as you're getting it up to temperature and then you know that you have you know you have bike brakes bedded in when you can basically lock out the brakes and do a burnout or uh, you know basically lock out the rear and and leave marks skid marks uh and or you lock out the front and you feel like you're going to go otb the brakes basically function properly at that point. So that's why I'm yeah, asking I mean, you're doing panic stops to basically go, okay, if I panic stop and push this to the limit, this is bedded in and now I'm stopping. Well, I mean, you will feel the brake performance improve as you build that transfer layer. Right. Um, but what I'm saying is that most decent car brake systems will lock the tires up even with a shitty huh. transfer layer. And yeah. the way you know that you have transferred pad material onto the discs is if they kind of have a, it's like, it's a slight blue sil- It's a cobalt blue kind of color. Right. To the disc. Yes. And that's how, you know, there's pad material on the disc because a clean disc is bright silver. Correct. Anyway. Yeah. I got, uh, that. I did. Yeah. I did all that. Uh, there was a bunch of play in the throttle pedal. It, the, the, there's a, like an axle that it rotates on that was wallered out and I bought a new one and fit that and I put on some Sparco pedal covers and I adjusted my I got the new Momo steering wheel and got that Ooh, in yeah. oh, Pixar oh, didn't, happen. Yeah, that Pixar didn't happen yeah uh, I'll get you some it, it's uh, really tell, 
Tell the listeners what you got. Uh, I got a Momo Heritage Grand Prix. So it's a mahogany wheel with a like a matte silver. I don't like chrome in general. So it's a matte silver spokes mahogany wheel. Um, and then I got some Sparco pedal covers that are like a gunmetal gray with white and red stripes, which matches my car. Um, and I adjusted the brake pedal. I adjusted the brake pedal position so now I don't have to lift my foot to my fucking chin to get my foot on the brake pedal. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it feels pretty damn good. I haven't got a chance to really take it out, but uh, all is right. I was so tired. Anyway, car's you, driving you, and running. You, you still, haven't, you ha- still haven't told me the why. Yeah, why did you why? get this car? All right. So let's get into the history of the, of the freaking Grand Sports. That's um, why you picked this car is the history of the Grand Sport. Okay, all right. We're we're gonna we're gonna get there. So when I was a, a child, a teenager, <laughs> my mom and my stepdad had his and hers Corvettes, and they Cute. were nineteen seventies era, so Stingrays, C threes, and they were in all the Corvette clubs, and we went to all the you know muscle car meets, Sonic, blah 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 blah. Um, that's what got me into cars to begin with. I consider myself a worldwide car enthusiast, but I started playing with American stuff. You know, first time I changed an intake manifold was on a Corvette. Um, and solid. Yeah. So naturally I'm a teenager. My parents both have Corvettes. I am into Corvettes and I knew everything. I knew all the generations, all the different option packages and stuff. And I, you know, cause I wanted to be a car guy. And I decided that the coolest looking Corvette was the second gen, the 63 to 67, also known as the C2. And then one day, mm-hmm. I was about 14. We went to a car show, and this old dude pulled up in a, a uh, 63 Grand Sport replica. And if you haven't seen, I mean, that's what I bought, right? If you haven't seen one, it looks like a fucking spaceship compared to a normal C2. Yep, I, was I like, posted what? it up on the end. On our Instagram yep. and our Twitter. And I was like, what the hell what is red vet? that? Yeah. And I was able to get a ride in that car. I was like 14 oh, or 15. Wow. Yep. Old dude gave me a ride in his C2 Grand Sport. And then I went to the library, because that's what you did back in those <laughs> days, and got on the internet, and I read everything I, I could. Yep, I read everything I could about what the Grand Sport was. And it's basically an old C2 Corvette that they cut a bunch of holes in and modified the bodywork to make it better for circuit racing. And anybody that's been in the American car scene, all they talk about is drag racing. And I naturally wanted to go circuit racing, and nobody I talked to knew anything about it. And then when I saw this car and learned that it was purpose-built for road course racing, I was like, that is the coolest thing I have ever seen in my life it's absolutely rad car yeah and i told myself at 14 or 15 that i was going to build one one day and at the time gm had recently come out with their 502 crate engine and in perfect you know adolescent excess fashion in my head i was like i'm gonna build a grand sport and i'm gonna put a 502 in it i can confirm that's what john sounded like (laughs) in his adolescent years and dude i mean i went through jeg's catalogs (laughs) I was looking through Jags and Summit oh, catalogs Jags. every weekend. Yeah, oh. dude. Hey, I had a. Can, can we can we tell that? can we educate Ryan really quick and not to deviate really not too far, but yeah. what Jags was? So uh, Jags, Jags and Summit is 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 a Summit, yeah, Summit racing. So 
racing parts catalog for gearheads. Gotcha. Both companies. American, domestic, foreign, JDM, Euro. They're they're now expanded. Anything you could ever want for your car. It's the second largest mail order company of automotive equipment in the United States. But the trick yes. about Jags and Summit is that the American aftermarket market absolutely dwarfs Japanese Euro. Like the amount of parts you can get for your car, it's no comparison. Really? Um, sure enough. And that's pretty much what they specialize in. And so I had this grocery list of all the parts. I added it all up. It was going to cost $30,000 in parts. <laughs> I added it all up. Everything I was going to build my Grand Sport with. And it was going to be a 502. And then I got this new job and got this raise. And I'm going to bring a trailer. And what did I see? I saw a Grand Sport kit with a 502 in it. And I got chills. And I was like, I'm buying it. And I did. Yeah. Uh, now that makes sense. It's like angels came down from heaven and sent you a hyperlink. It's like literally the car I wanted to build when I was a teenager. That's so hilarious. Um, but what is a Grand Sport? And that's what we're set out to answer today. Yeah. So let's take a trip down memory lane, kids. Mm. Start out. Start out in the 1950s. So back in the 50s. Wars ended. The wars ended. Automobiles have become cemented in American culture. And everybody's racing. Everybody's hot rodding. And, you know, race on Sunday, sell on Monday. That's that's the that's the motto of the day, right? That's then, where this is appropriate, Ryan. It is where this is appropriate. So I'm going to go buy an F1 car now? <laughs> hold on, hold on. Hold now on. you're going to go buy a, a vet. Yeah, apparently. But in 1955, Mercedes had the most horrific crash in motorsports history. The 300 SLR careens off the track into the crowd and kills 83 spectators. So crazy. It's the reason Mercedes left motorsports in, for so long. They did. They left motorsports for a long time following that crash. Following that, the Automotive Manufacturers Association, which is an American consortium of, of all the automobile manufacturers, they made a gentleman's agreement that they were not going to participate in motorsports at a factory level because they thought it wasn't safe and it promoted unsafe driving. We know how uh, gentlemen's agreements in automotive industry works, don't we, folks? Yeah, yeah. Gentlemen's <laughs> agreements, you know, in the short Yeah, they, they, they have a really great track record. They really do. Um, <laughs> so, like, specifically, Pontiac directly just said, F this agreement. And that's why Pontiac has the performance, like, pedigree that it does because Pontiac was a little bit smaller company and they were just like, Nope. And they just kept making race cars. Um, and yeah. so that's why in the late fifties and early sixties, Pontiac was the go when it comes to fast uh -huh. stuff. Now, by the early sixties, pretty much everybody had stopped paying attention to the gentleman's agreement. You had Chevy coming out with bigger engines. Chrysler debuted the Hemi Ford started coming out with the four twenty sevens and their bigger engines. Um, but GM 
kind of went back to it because in 1961 and 62, General Motors, which was GM the brand for trucks, Chevy, Pontiac, Oldsmobile, and Buick. GM was responsible for 53% of all U.S. automotive sales. Wow. And U.S. Yeah, U.S. government said that at 60%, they would look at breaking up GM from antitrust laws. And GM knew this was credible because not long before that, Standard Oil had gotten broken up this very same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so GM was particularly concerned about these antitrust laws. And so they took this AMA racing ban and they made it corporate policy in 1963. And so all like factory GM racing stopped. You could have, you could go buy a GM car and modify it yourself and compete. But General Motors did not back any race cars. And little anecdote, this is like the, the birth of the crate engine. Because, because nowadays you can go to GM Performance Parts or Ford or whatever, and you can buy a crate engine. You can buy an engine, like you can buy a Hellcat engine or the engine in the new Corvette. You can buy it from the crate engine program. This got started from this ban in the '60s that GM started. Because what happened was, enterprising individuals at GM started selling hot race car stuff to privateers to make some extra money because they couldn't raise it themselves. Interesting. Yeah. It's a real skunk works and I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of the genesis of like summit and jegs and these types of mail or catalogs and like the American performance market as we know it today was kind of from this band. It's almost like prohibition type of crap. Americans yeah. do a hundred percent. It's like very hundred percent prohibition American ideologies again <laughs> oh there's a band that's Business we're just gonna go over here yeah it, it's wild well so things things that are wild about like the grand sport or its engine to me that it had uh back in the day john oh i'm gonna get to 77 i'm gonna oh. get to that very Whoa. shortly okay so so anyway in the early 60s in 1963 Chevy came out with the C2 Corvette, the new Corvette, and they had the Z06 package, which you might recognize that nomenclature today. That's the start of it. And that was their performance package, and that was the fast Corvette. That's what GM allowed them to make under this ban. At the time, Ford was partnered with Shelby, and they weren't worried about antitrust laws because they did not have 53% of automotive sales. And so they're racing. So Chevy took the Z06, the approved factory Corvette, to the track and raced it against the Cobra and got absolutely embarrassed. The Cobra mollywopped the new C2 new-gen performance package vet. Not even a comparison. Jeez. So there's a guy by the name of Zora Arcus Duntov, and he is known as the father of the Corvette. He's the guy that designed the original Corvette, he was the reason the Corvette got a V8 because the original Corvettes had a straight six. And he was a racer by trade and it pissed him off because he thought the C2 was a huge improvement on the first generation Corvette. And he wanted it to be a grand touring race car to compete with the Europeans. 
and seeing it get just destroyed by the cobra pissed him off. So what he did is, in complete defiance of GM corporate, he made essentially a skunk works program. He took a C2 Corvette and he made a custom tubular space frame chassis, custom hand laid extra thin fiberglass body, and he made a C2 with custom bodywork and fender flares and new air vents and stuff, and it weighed a thousand pounds less than the stock C2. And he put in a custom made 377 cubic inch, four Weber carbureted, all aluminum small block that made somewhere between its rumored 500 to 550 horsepower and revved to like 8,000 RPMs. They made five of these things. Yeah, it was a monster. They they made five. The plan was to make 125, but GM basically shut the process down. Well, so so yes. So what happened was, in defiance of this, Zora Arcus Duntov, who is very much a bigwig at GM, builds these five race cars in secret. And his plan is to beat Shelby's ass with these five cars. Chevy corporate kept or GM corporate catches wind of that and is like abs not only no but fuck no <laughs> hell no you're done son you're out and he they order him to cease production so he had five cars and a sixth chassis with with that that wasn't a fully built car yet and he was ordered to stop so he's got these five cars and he starts farming them out to privateers. And he had to rip the 377 cubic inch engine out and put normal 327s with less exotic stuff in them. But then he got a wild hair up his ass. And he did? Yeah, he did. And so uh, in the Bahamas, Nassau, there's a big, it's called Nassau Speed Week. And it's just a big endurance race week. And he took three of the grand of the five grand sports chassis zero zero three four and five and he gave them to a race team called uh Meekum's race team he put the 377s back in them and they shipped them down to nassau to race and this was the first time these cars were seen actually competing and uh, so they were notably they participated in two of the big endurance races, the Governor's Trophy and the Nassau Trophy. Nassau Trophy was like the feature event, and it was, it's like a 250 kilometer endurance race. Um, and the Grand Sports placed fourth and eighth. Notably, the top placing Cobra was seventh. And in the Governor's Trophy, one of the smaller races, they got third, fourth, and sixth. This is the first time ever racing these cars and, and, and the models that beat them. So first and second in the governor's trophy or one, two, and three in the Nassau trophy. Those were a Ferrari 250P, which was a custom V12 mid-engine prototype car that Ferrari was testing out. A Scarab Mark IV, which was a one-off bespoke car, mid-engine car by an F1 team. And a Lotus 23B, which is a thousand pound, again, wow. mid-engine one-off prototype car. So those are the models that beat them. When I say they placed, you know, fourth and eighth and third, fourth and sixth, what they got beat by <laughs> was not production-based vehicles. So cars was... you couldn't pick for what I wish I was driving. 
cars yes, you could not pick correct. for what I would <laughs> chose driving. That is correct. Um, so that was a pretty high-profile result, um, and GM caught wind of it, and they ordered well, Zora. Sure oh no, they were fucking pissed. Uh, they ordered Zora to stop, cease all communication with Meekum Race Team. Um, wow. But thankfully, they did not order the cars to be crushed. So after that, Zora kind of, you know, he sold them, farmed them out to various privateer teams. Two of the five were eventually converted to roadsters, which if you see pictures of them, they have like these gnarly, like half height windshields that are cut down. Um, and uh, I don't know if all five chassis exist to this day. They do. All five of them exist? Yes. I thought one or two of them got destroyed. No, so the five chassis, basically you have uh, you have chassis one is owned by a former banker and car collector, Henry uh, Yigi of Cincinnati, Ohio. Chassis two is part of the permanent collection in the Simeon Foundation Automotive Museum in Philly. Chassis three is owned by a car collector named Larry Bowman. Car four is part of the Miles Coiler collection on display at the Reeves Institute in Naples, Florida. And Chassis 5 is in the private collection of Bill Tower of Plant City, Florida. And he was a former Corvette developer and engineer. There are the five chassis. They all come in, uh, four of them are basically in blue. They all have a little bit different livery. Uh, number four has kind of like a teal, and John, yours is red. So Mine's red. It's not yeah. an original color. Right. Um, but all five so still exist. These cars are estimated, because they're so rare and... A bunch of them are in museum collections and stuff. Uh, they're estimated, if they were to be sold, to be north of $5 million, making it the rarest Jeez. and... Correct. Yeah. The last one... And most... Ex- was purchased for, the last one was purchased in 2002 for $4.2 million, and that was in 2002 money. So in 2022 yeah. money, that's probably well north of five. Yeah. So yeah, the rarest... fifteen twenty for inflation, right? Yeah. Right. That's probably like, the most valuable Corvette models around. Um, right. And so naturally, and because they're race cars built on tubular space frames, they don't have much in common with a normal C2. So there's been a smattering of companies that have offered kits over the years trying to recreate just the wild bodywork and performance of these cars. So my particular car is a D&D um, which was the like premier maker of these in like the nineties and two thousands. Um, I think the D and D like mold body panel molds and stuff got sold to Superformance, who is kind of the that's kind of the hot ticket in town to get one of these now. Is Superformance um, Mongoose is another big producer of these, so. Um, I have heard of Mongoose before. It's legitimately cool, though, that they can like basically get the mold and the design of these older cars that are super rare and create them pretty much to form. I find that really impressive. Yeah, man. It's it's um. Well, see, the nice thing when you're dealing with a race replica is you know if you look at my car or you look at you know a GT40 replica or something like that, the factory built these in a much more like thrown together fashion. Like, you know, you don't have like trim panels in the interior that fit perfectly and, and seals and, and, you know what I mean? Window seals and stuff like that, that fit right. So like 
a lot of times building a kit car is a pretty authentic representation of what the original was versus if you get a factory car like everything is kind of cut and fit and and it's all right and tight and you have sound deadening and stuff like that but when you talk about these race replicas they didn't have any of that yeah um so i don't really you know i don't hate on kit cars that do a decent job of like replicating the original's performance or doing better which i would argue that Most you know my car probably. has well, it depends. Like, if I build a Lamborghini off of a Fiero, <laughs> I will poop on that all day. Sure. But, you know, my car has a full cage in it, tubular chassis. It has C4 Corvette suspension front and rear and 500 horsepower and 600 foot-pounds of torque. I'm I'm good. I'm yeah, good with right, that. for real. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> but it, it carries the design philosophy and the mindset of this very uh, original car that was built in a skunk work kind of era, uh, which is really, really cool. Yeah, man. It's uh, you know, teenage dream come true. Teenage and dream. now you know, now you know why anybody cares. Well, that's perfect. Well, let's talk about three other cars <laughs> or two other cars besides this one. Cause this is on the list uh, of what we should do for scrap race daily. So John, you want to explain the rules and or game yeah, really so rules like twenty. What am I showing? Driving. So it's not rules, but uh, scrap race daily. We're going to do this topical because we're talking about a specific car. So we're picking three cars. It's kind of our automotive version of bang, marry, kill. So we've got our three models, and then we talk about which one we would get rid of, which one we would take for a race weekend, and which one we would bring home to mom to love and cherish forever. And in keeping with the times. Our three models for today are the Shelby Daytona Coupe, which is the coupe version of the Cobra, the Ford built for sports car racing, the Corvette Grand Sport, which we just talked about, and the Ferrari 250 GTO. And for the purpose of this game, we're going to talk about all of these being original, not kit cars. Ooh. And all of these are... An original version of any of these cars is north of $5 million, so they're all unobtainium. <laughs> unobtainium. Love that. That's a, good yep. that's a good material, John. Well, John, since you uh, you own a replica of one of these, do you want to take first shot? Yeah, I'll take first shot. All right. So I thought about this a lot. I'm sure you have. This pains me to say because this is another oh, kit car. Geez. This is another kit car that's out there that's out in the world. I would 100% build and drive. But I think I would have to scrap the Shelby Daytona Coupe. Oh, no. I know, I know, I know. Uh, I can't, in good conscience, decide to get rid of a car I own. So Shelby's got to go. Okay. Yeah. Truth to power. Yeah. I think uh, this was hard for me. I think I would race the Grand Sport. Okay. Um, just because they're fast as hell. They're way faster than a 250 GTO in terms of power. Um, they're gnarly, but they have a lot of issues. Uh, they have a lot of bump steer. They like to spin out in corners. There's, they're a handful. Uh, and I can attest to this in my own. Uh, first and second gear are useless. 
absolutely useless. Uh, I just spin. Um, but it's a riot, and it's awesome. And I think I would daily the 250 GTO if for no other reason than it might be the most beautiful car ever made. Oh, okay. All right. There's there's a couple other cars in contention, but uh, it's definitely in the top three. And, you know, V12, six carburetors, it's it's just got a lot going for it. Yeah. So that, that's my picks. What do you got? Lenny? Oh man, it's really tough. This is a really tough trio of cars, yeah. I have to say. It is, yeah. Um, hard to scrap and, one of them. And it's really hard to scrap one of them. And unfortunately, uh, John, to you, I, I really hope one day that I'm you grace me with the pleasure to drive this Grand Sport of yours that you bought. Uh, but here in this situation, I'm gonna have to scrap it. Oh no. Oh, oh no. no. We just did a whole episode, Lenny. How could you do such a horrendous I thing? I know. Jeez. I know, but I have to. It just uh, the other things that John has said is just it it harks to what I'm about to say that I would have to race the 250 GTO because of the V12 and I I need to see oh. um how it does and if the legend at least, you know, to that time, I had, you, you have to set the bar a little bit lower, I understand, to the expectations of, you know, a 50s or 60s car. But regardless, the V12 sound of it, I'm sure it's just a symphony of orgasm. A um, symphony of orgasm, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Speaking of the Daytona Coupe, that car is gorgeous. Oh, my God, is it, though? I did. We'll get there. What? Just you don't like the what? Go on, honey. Go on. Go on. I'll get there. I'll get there, I'll get there when I get there. I'll get there when I get there. It's really nice, and you could one could one can challenge to say that the 250 GTO and the Daytona Coupe kind of look the same. Like you, um, they're very similar body body lines, um, but Shelby, and it's just so freaking rad, dude, and it just oh. It's a different type of symphony of orgasm. It's the rumble type, not the uh, kind of high note of the Ferrari. So that's it. I, okay. You know, I'll I'll say the like the, comparing the Daytona or the 250 for that matter to the Grand Sport. It's like the first two are like you know this gorgeous, flowy '60s kind of you know elegant shape and it makes the grand sport look like this like <laughs> fucking ugly duckling bad boy bruiser which i also love but it does it not have that look bad slow, slow, no it doesn't look bad baby. at all it just doesn't have the elegance of the other two all right well sure. i'll get into this now i'm gonna scrap the shelby <clears throat> okay why okay. uh why? Because to me, I don't like the look of the Shelby. I what? I, I it, it for this era, for this era and this style of car, I don't like the back end of it. It looks very squatty. The proportions to me, I look at it and I it just seems slightly off. If I just get if I do an instant uh kind of approach to it, I, I'm sure I can vibe on it if I like look at it long enough, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
I'm just telling you that the initial vibe I get off of this car from the side profile doesn't do it for me. Interesting. Right. Uh, <clears throat> it just doesn't. Uh, it's, I just, I'm, so I'm going to scrap it. Uh, I, I, and here's, this is where it gets hard for me, uh, is that I am a big fan. As I've gotten into cars, American sport cars, Corvettes have actually absolutely become top tier for me. Like like any of the Ford stuff, any of the Shelby stuff is Interesting. cool. But Corvettes for me, right. I, I don't know. I haven't I the modern Corvettes look sick. They they are American cars that look like British or Italian cars. They do it the best. They look sexy. Every time I see one on the fucking street go by, I'm like, is that a is that a Ferrari or is it Mc- no? It's just a Corvette. But damn, it looks good. I fucking love Corvettes. I just I'm- man. Maybe I should. Maybe I should send you a pair of denim and New Balances as well. Look, look. <laughs> I've got. Hey, you don't just have to. Just a straight anticipation. Wait, wait, wait. Hey, Lenny, 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 Lenny. You're a rookie dad here. I've got three kids already. Do you think I don't already own a pair of New Balance and fucking denim jeans? Get the fuck out of here. All right. Now number two. <laughs> <laughs> number two. This is where it gets hard for me because I don't know these two historic cars enough with the Grand Sport and the Ferrari 250 GTO. And I'm always kind of apprehensive on my Ferrari stuff, right? Because like I just found and listened and drove the MGT7, the 458, and fell. I don't, I love my Honda engines, don't get me wrong, but damn, does that engine sound good. And so, like, I have not heard a 250 GTO, but I'm sure it sounds sexy. Just I it does. I I just very very it does. I don't know which one to sit in my garage every single day, and like so, it's like I love these Corvettes and this this. I'd have to change the colorway. I have to go like white on this on the Grand Sport. This teal's not bad. I don't know if I could do the fucking red that John has. That's too spicy for me. Uh, <laughs> I do like the silver. Like for Ferrari. me, it's the interior of John's red. I, it's just not me, uh, but you know, I like a splash. Look, 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 I'm all about white with red splash. Okay, right. That's the type R type of, you know, very Japanese Honda best. Anyways, so like, I'm just for me, it's it's figuring out which one I want to daily, and then whatever I don't daily becomes a racer. And so like, I don't know, man. It's so hard to choose because, yeah, V12, but it's all the, all the problems. Which one do I want to stare at every single day? Oh, this is really hard uh, for me. It's really interesting that you think that the 250 GTO is a good-looking car, but the Daytona Coupe is not? They're, yeah, I found that interesting they're, too. They're very similar, but for whatever reason, I think because it's Ferrari and it's the Italian stupidity and their just general goofiness with design language, I'm allowing it. Whereas like the Shelby is just a copycat of that and it's not the OG. And so whereas the GT40 Why do you say it's a copycat of that? It's not what would would cuz like again, it it's how the Corvette modern Corvettes look like McLarens, right? It's not the other way around. And so, like, Ferrari already had that design language. That's very, very much the design language. I can I can have a Ferrari badge on this and be okay with it. If I slap a Ford badge on it, it becomes ugly, I guess. I don't know. If that's just my initial, like, just kind of, <laughs> you know, I don't know why. I don't know why. Okay. No, right? For whatever fine. reason, you slap the Ferrari sure. badge on it and dumb Italian design language is okay because it's dumb. Like, the American <laughs> ruggedness is not there in the, in, in the Shelby uh, Daytona coupe for me. It's just not, it's not, it's not that. Whereas the, the Corvette, uh, 
you know, sport has the kind of rugged, wacky 60s space, almost Reno-esque kind of flow to it. So which one are you going to pick? Fuck it. You know what? I'm going to put, I'm going to put the Grand Sport in my garage. I'm going to go race for Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. I, I'm going to change the color away. I'm not getting the fucking red, but that's what's going to my garage. I'm putting the Grand Sport that's... in the garage. We're not talking about red because we're talking about originals. Yeah, originals. I'm so gonna go with I'm gonna go with number four, which number four is the one that is uh, more of a teal color. It also has the number three, uh, at least in the on the wiki here. The 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 one I pick has the three. Um, I'm a number first three. All, I'm a number three. Yeah. I'm first of all, first of all, Grand Sport number four. That is not a teal. That's a cobalt blue. Perfect. It's like a, I love it. Whatever it is, I. And love I will it. say this: if I repainted my car. I would probably go with that shade of blue. It's it's that blue with like the orange stripe down the middle, and that's the one that's yep. in the Naples, Florida, that you could go drive John, and see. Try, try, black. What's up? No, nah, no. Nah, We've already nah, discussed this. Nah, black nah, is a nah, bad nah, color nah, nah, for cars, Lenny. No way. No black. No way. Pick a color or pick yeah, white. A C two grand no, sport. Yes. Absolutely nah. not. Yeah, nah. black, black works white. on. S- Black Racing works on stripes. some cars, not that. Uh, then your bronze wheel, no. Your bronze lip, yes, no. no. I think black is no. Go, John. Do I'm the, gonna render it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to render it somewhere. John, in a game. Do, do, do the same as the Corvette Grand Sport number four. Is that a cobalt blue? It looks more teal from the Wikipedia page I'm looking at. Maybe I'm no sure. way. It's not teal at all. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a baby blue almost. Oh, like I guess fair, it is. Okay. Metallic. In wiki, yeah, okay. I like that baby blue. That's I, I will do that with the orange stripe. I like that. That color is what yeah. you're looking for on your brake rotors when you bend yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and good good color on brake rotors means I'm going to hit my corners faster than anybody else. So, uh, yeah. That's right. I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and put that in my daily. That's what I'm going to show my mom and be like, "Look, mom, look at my six space, in- spaceship American car." And I'll go race and show the Ferrari because why the hell not? And uh Fucking a, John. I'm I, I'm sure you're happy about that choice. I am. I am warm <laughs> to my heart. So uh, that's been another episode of Zero Left Podcast. Uh, you can find out pictures and any sort of information that we've left out here. Uh, for for those of you who can't see us, obviously because this is audio, at Zero Left Podcast on Instagram or Zero Left Podcast on Twitter. Uh, let us know your thoughts. Which car you would pick. That's Scrap Race Daily between these three legends of uh, 1960s vehicles. You've been joined by me, Ryan. I've been here with the wonderful company of Lenny Two Shoes. Put up, put up. And John sharing his great Riding the there. BBC. There it is. Riding the BBC. We'll catch you next time, folks. Thanks for joining us, and uh, keep it pinned. <laughs>